Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today and sign up for a special offer. Click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in decode. Today is also sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at Audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the world's leading unicorn hunter. Oh, that's scary. Doesn't that turn out badly on Harry Potter? But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you are listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. Today, we have Brian Chesky, the CEO of hospitality startup Airbnb and one of our speakers from the 2015 Code Conference. He co-founded Airbnb in 2008, where I met him in a coffee shop when he was doing that. And in the past seven years, it has become a disruptive force with billions raised in outside funding and no shortage of political enemies. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. Of You've course. had an eventful month or so. Yeah, it's been quite an intense yeah, month. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about a range of things yeah. that happened in San Francisco, some of the regulatory stuff, but you just got back from Paris. You guys were having, what was going on there? So every year we do this event we call the Airbnb Open. We started about two years ago. It actually started as a product launch and we invited our host there. And, and you pick a different city. Correct? Yeah, we pick a different city. And the thing we realized is it's actually host getting together is better than the actual product launch itself. Right. And so this year we had – it's basically our version of a convention. Mm-hmm. And we had about 5,000 hosts that came from 110 countries from around the world and they came to Paris. And it was basically a three-day conference. Why did you pick Paris? What was the- um, Paris is the number one city in the world in Airbnb. We have about 62,000 oh, homes in Airbnb. And just to put that in perspective, it's about 68,000 hotel rooms. So it's a quite a large market for us. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously, like, I think Paris is probably one of the most iconic Airbnb cities. Mm-hmm. just the kind of place everyone wants to go to. I think people dream of living there. So Right. And so you did this thing, yeah, 5,000 so people. Yes, yeah, so we did this conference. And um, it was, I mean, uh, yeah, the experience I had was almost had, like, two different experiences. Right. First two days, total elation. The idea, I'd never been in a room speaking in front of 5,000 people before, mm-hmm. let alone 5,000 people who... Like their livelihood has existed partly and because, top hosts, and these are like top hosts. They fly right. from. I mean, we had hosts from Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. We had hosts from Cuba. So we had hosts from the far corners of the earth coming to this conference. So it was it was all going really really well. And it was in central Paris. It was right in uh, the 18th district, so okay. fairly central Paris. We had the in, the in the Grand Hall, which is this giant space that was like a former like meat packing district, mm-hmm. um, like a generation ago. And so we have this experience, this event. First two days go by. And what did you talk about? What was going on? Oh, yeah. So I um, – the whole idea of this conference, and I think it's part of the reason why everybody's unique, is it's, it's the idea that we're partners with our hosts. Mm-hmm. So I, I used to tell the people in our company, our hosts are not our customers. They're our partners. Mm-hmm. And so think of them as business partners coming – and you come to work with them every day, not for them. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to bring them from around the world and help them understand how they can be a successful host to the guests. So we did product launches. We talked about our mission, why we're doing everything together. And really, we're also there to listen. And we got basically a lot of feedback from them about what they want us to be doing better. Right. And then everything was brought uh, taped, and then we emailed to 1.1 million hosts around the world, and they get to participate okay. remotely. So two days goes on. Two days goes on. And the event's going great. I do two keynotes. I do, like, the opening and then a closing talk. You know, when you're, like, kind of preparing for a big talk and mm-hmm. suddenly it's over, you're, like, let out some steam. We end up going to this, uh, you know, and we did these dinner parties throughout the city. Mm-hmm. So we had, like, hundreds of dinner parties happening throughout the city. And I ended up co-hosting one with Joe and Nate. And we hosted a dinner party for the first 40 employees. My parents came there. My girlfriend was there. My sister was there. It was, like, a really mm-hmm. warm, uh, intimate experience. Um, Joe gets up, my co-founder, we do a toast. We thank everyone for being there. Joe sits down. All of a sudden, and this is probably, I think, like 9.30, 9.45 mm-hmm. at night, my phone buzzes. We get an alert that there was an attack. There was a shooting at a cafe in Paris. Mm-hmm. We were very nervous. But it would be similar to just getting a really horribly sure. tragic update. You don't think too much beyond this single event. Right. About 30 minutes go by. Suddenly, we get another alert. There is a... 100 people who are taken hostage at the Backland Theater. Mm-hmm. Immediately at that point, my heart like started racing. 
first of all, what was happening was we had employees distributed throughout the, the city. city right. In fact, one of uh, my closest employees was at a restaurant next door to the theater. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden, a few minutes later, we start getting more alerts. Mm-hmm. And the alerts we're getting so it's clear something is that there's six well. attacks distributed through the city in the districts where we have not just 645 employees, but 5,000 hosts so it was and 10,000 guests. a lot of your employees. It was, a- it was about 25% of our employees. Right. And, you know, 5,000 hosts and then thousands of guests. All of a sudden, our heart's racing. We set up a command center. I literally, I was in it, by the way, I was in a two-bedroom apartment that was mm-hmm. an Airbnb. There was no quiet place. We ended up going into the master bathroom in the walk-in shower because it was like the only place you could actually hear. And it was all stone. And we get on the phone with our security team. And the first order of business is we tried to basically account for every one of these 645 sure. employees. And we didn't know the worst. And what we found out was there was a team of employees inside of the stadium Mm -hmm. where one of the attacks happened, and people were getting injured in the stampede. Like old old, old women were getting trampled on in the hysteria of the stampede. We had other employees that were in restaurants where they closed the metal gates down, the lights were off, and they were hiding under tables. You can imagine this happening for like six or eight hours. By 3, 4 in the morning, we're told we have to stay overnight inside 40 people in a two-bedroom apartment, and Uh we couldn't leave. And so it was one of the more terrifying experiences I've been a part of. The good news that was some silver lining at the end of the story for us particularly, which is that all 645 employees and all the hosts we were able to get in touch with were accounted for. They were safe, although people did witness some great human atrocity. And at the very end of this experience, what I told the employees were two things. I said, number one, you know, we saw the worst in humanity, um, through these senseless acts, but we also saw the very best in humanity because the amount of generosity that I saw was unbelievable. When 200 of us came back from Paris, the airport, we had a huge group of employees greeting us with like cookies and water. Mm-hmm. And it was just like people were traumatized. This is unbelievable. And everyone rose up. That was truly amazing. And the other thing is that there's an old saying, Paris is the city of light or the city of love. Mm-hmm. And I think the city of love is probably very appropriate for this city. It was just such an outpouring of support. So it was one of the more insane experiences I've been a part of. Right. And right. Where yeah. have you done other ones? Where have you done? Oh, the other? open. Well, we that was the second big event. Right. We did the first one. The first two were here in San Francisco. San Francisco. And we were initially going to. So this is your first international one. And we had a decision. Do we want to be like Dreamforce? It's the same city. And. Our, our business is primarily outside of the United States. In fact, right. most 57% of it's in Europe. So we thought this should be more like a mobile traveling. Route. Sure. Makes sense. So, yeah. But except yeah. you're in the wrong place at the right time or the right place. Yeah, yeah. And it would, who would have imagined? It was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about that idea of like people – one of the things your company pushes is travel everywhere, going exactly. places. Paris is your most successful most city. Most successful city in the world. Is that going to continue? I, I mean, think, does this? How does it impact? I hate to get into the business aspects of it, yeah. but everybody's thinking of terror is meant to stop what yeah. we're all doing. It's hard to say. I don't want to overly speculate except to say that this past week, you know, the growth was unaffected by the attacks for us personally. Um, I think that people are quite resilient to the notion of going to Paris. And I think uh, the desire to go there is probably outweighed by some of the initial fear. It might be affected, but Mm -hmm. we haven't seen anything yet. How do you look at when you're trying to sort of introduce people to travel all around the globe? You've done enormous international expansion. You know, um, it's really crazy. Before Airbnb, I didn't travel that much. I mean, right. I mean, growing up, my parents are social workers. So the first time I was ever on an airplane, I went to St. Louis, and I thought that was like going to a foreign country. And I was from Albany, New York. And Airbnb has been the way I've been able to travel to dozens of countries all over the world. And it's cool because you get to experience a city through its people. We are now in 191 countries, including in, you know, we mentioned Greenland. We mm-hmm. had hosts come from Greenland. It mm-hmm. was, um, we have, uh, we're a very popular community in Iceland, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. And then Cuba. Um, in fact, we brought some hosts on stage from Cuba. And I'm of all the things I've done this year, Cuba is probably one of the things I'm most proud of. We, at the beginning of the year, weren't even in Cuba, weren't allowed right. to be there. President Obama lifted restrictions. We now have 2,500 homes in Cuba and our largest provider of hospitality in Cuba. So it's quite an, quite an experience. Is and there I, any other hospital, other hotel? There's, oh, there's hotels. There. There's like small hotels, but the, there's these things called Casas Particulares, which is how Basically, people have traveled to Cuba for 20 years, and mm-hmm. we basically gave them distribution. But we're basically in almost every country in the world. We're not in Iran, we're not in North Korea, and we're mm-hmm. not in Syria. Oh, we're just about well, every other. Probably not the best places to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, very, very difficult places yeah. to be for now. Yeah, but you do shift. I mean, you're still leaving out a lot of troubled countries, too, right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting because we can able to, we, are, we have the ability to, our brand is very associated 
in San Francisco, I think people think about like San Francisco. Sure. They think about New York and the cities you read about. Mm-hmm. And those exist for sure. But the vast majority of our business is actually outside the United States. What percentage? It's outside the United yeah. States, like um, almost 70%. And that's been consistent or? No, or? no. It's Our business was a primarily U.S.-based business of about 2011. In fact, mm-hmm. when you and I met, you and I met um, even before then, right. we were probably 75% U.S. Yeah, and a lot By of By 2011, Francisco. we were about half. And now we're, let's say, one-third U.S. and uh, half Europe and then what the rest part, is Asia. Half Europe and the rest is Asia. Yeah. Is there any particular – France, Paris, what else? Well, Paris is the biggest city in the world, the 62,000. France is the number two country in the world outside the United States. And this is usage country. or hosts? Both sides. Both, both sides. sides. Okay. Um, Germany's up there on the usage side and origin. Mm-hmm. Um, Italy and Spain are huge as destinations. Brazil. Rio is our number four city in the world with 20,000 homes. Mm-hmm. In fact, and I, I told you this in a, a code, like – you know, one in five people that went to the World Cup stayed in the Airbnb, so it was mm-hmm. pretty big. Um, but our fastest-growing countries in the world are actually Japan, Korea, and China. Oh, so Asia is kind of taking the same story that Europe did a few years ago. It's uh-huh. kind of insane. And the people in Asia when are actually— When did you enter China? We'll talk about it. Yeah, it, well, it was officially, like, uh, beginning of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are basically in a market so long as people can discover us. Right. Online, as long as you have internet access, you can use us. But we got really serious about China about a year ago. And right, we're we're going like seven hundred percent. Are there big. difficulties there? You probably don't face the same difficulties Twitter faces. No, I, every the funny thing is everyone says they're different as a mm-hmm. justification for going to China. Uh-huh. I'm going to say the same thing. Hopefully, I can give a better justification. I think we are different. The reason we're different is because we're travel. Mm-hmm. We're peer to peer travel. If you, it's been very hard historically for American companies to be successful in China. Um, this being said, if you are living in China and you want to travel the world and mm-hmm. stay in a home, you will not use a Chinese website mm-hmm. because a person in Paris is not about their home on a Chinese website. Mm-hmm. So there are 80 million millennials that will leave China this year and travel around the world. This is our core audience. And so I think we are one of the first companies poised to be successful so in China. Chinese people using it all around Chinese the Chinese people using it primarily to leave China, to mm-hmm. travel the world, and basically get a local experience. This is basically what they're doing. And where would you like to do better? What area of the world would you like to do better? And as you're thinking I mean, the Middle this? East, we are not very popular right now. We mm-hmm. don't spend a ton of energy, um, but this is something we need to get much more serious about. Um, and, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, um, the United States has been a very stable business for us, but between like but for a whole bunch of reasons this concept has been considered very weird to the United States relative yeah. to Europe this is totally normal like staying in a house like no one would ever assume that was a foreign idea but when we started this business in the United States people basically said it was crazy it was creepy i don't want to stay in strangers homes so the United States has actually been a bit of a challenge for us interesting well we'll get to that in a second yeah. after a word from our sponsor <laughs> With holidays almost here, you probably have even less time now than ever to go to the post office. Traffic is crazy, parking is limited, and the post office will be packed with your entire city trying to mail gifts and packages at once. Well, the good news is that anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk with stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer and printer the instant you need it. Right now, sign up for stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone, and at the top of the homepage, type in DECODE. It's that simple. Go to stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE to get started today. We're here with Brian Chesky, the CEO of and co-founder of Airbnb, the hospitality site that's sort of taken the world by storm. We were talking about international expansion, their yeah. terrible recent experience in Paris yeah. when they were there for their uh, convention of hosts. Uh, and now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, regulatory issues. Yeah. Um, we were talking about how much easier it is to expand abroad. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about what happened recently in San Francisco. You had a victory. We did have a victory. So San Francisco is a complicated city. Basically, it's very hard to be a tech company in San Francisco. It's also hard to be in the housing business in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The only thing worse is a tech company that does housing. Right. Okay. That's Airbnb. Right. So we are basically in a firestorm of a lot of different issues. Um, what was basically happened is at its root, people are, um, you know, there, there has been a lot of controversy at Airbnb for the last couple of years. In the beginning of uh, this year, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors passed a law that recognized Airbnb as a legitimate activity of home sharing. 
and there were laws in the books, and there were some opponents that were deeply upset about this. Mm -hmm. They tried to get the Board of Supervisors to repeal the law. They decided not to. They went to the mayor, Ed Lee. He decided not to, and they decided to do what sometimes you do in California. You go right to the ballot. Right. Um, Now, I thought this was Ballot initiatives. Yes, exactly. And I thought this was, first of all, frankly, ridiculously premature. In other words, the Board of Supervisors spent two years – debating. And I've read some t- reports that this is the so-called Airbnb law mm-hmm. as if like we were like it's a law we want like it was the law the draft of law we wanted. Um cuz that never happened. That never ha- I mean we it was <laughs> right, 2 years does. ago we they asked us like yeah. what would it look like and right. something totally different and much you know like like 90 day caps which I can go into it was not something we were obviously happy about but we're like fine something's better than nothing. The big issue is they ended up trying to do a registration, which I think a registration process is a great idea. The problem is the registration they decided to do wasn't an online registration. You have to make multiple appointments at City Hall. And and there was like a chart that was published online, and it basically showed there was like a 40-step process to register your Airbnb. Had it been this hard to start Airbnb, the company, I'm not sure it would have been worth it. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of people registered, and the ballot um, uh, uh, um, proponents decided we're going to the ballot. They basically, I think, had a very punitive, um, you know, we can go into the details of it, but basically it would have, like, really handicapped the business. And there Mm -hmm. were a lot of things we were against and our community was against. Mm -hmm. So then we spent the summer basically having to work with our community. Explain what the ballot was going to do. The ballot was going to do a few things. The first thing it was going to do was going to lower the cap. Basically, there's an unconstraint um, on being able to rent your bedroom. It was going to provide a cap to that. The second thing it was going to do was going to ban in-law units, mm-hmm. so which is a very important thing for people. And the third thing was to do this was basically create a private right of action, which basically allow neighbors to sue other neighbors. And for the explicit reason of Airbnb, yes, but it also could have been used for other purposes. So people even outside of a vested interest of Airbnb actually were frankly against this. So it was, in my opinion, a fairly poorly constructed law. Like even if you were against Airbnb, this was probably an overreach. And so the, even the San Francisco Chronicle, who I think has been – not, you know, like a champion of tech in in Airbnb, um, wrote an editorial coming out against it. So we ended up, um, you know, going into this this battle. It was a fairly seminal fight, I think, because it's in our home city. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you got the situation where, like, well, we're in 34,000 cities. All these cities are siding with us. It's going well. On the other hand, when you're home city, it kind of – you can win 10 cities in Europe. You lose your home city, and it basically just seems like you're losing ground completely. Mm -hmm. And so this was a – you know, it was a big, big big-time fight. So one of them was these posters? Which oh, was a mistake. Yeah, that was a huge problem. Um, so the the crazy thing about the posters was it wasn't anything to do with the campaign. It was a separate goal. It was very ill advised. The problem is this: um, our host, you know, we collect and remit hotel tax, and one of the issues that happens is there's this notion that it, we aren't paying our fair share of taxes, and it's this thing that's been constantly used against us, even though everyone is paying all taxes in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so our team decided, some people on the team decided. Um, they would have a billboard campaign to say we pay taxes. It doesn't even sound like a good idea when you when you say it out loud, and yet they did it. And somebody in an agency proved this ad. One person in our company saw it. Very few people saw it. There was a lot of outreach. How could we have approved it? The problem was it was like a camp. It, we were moving mm-hmm. so fast we didn't see it. The moment we saw the campaign. It's called Mistakes Were Made. Yes, Mistakes Were Made. We took it down immediately, but um, people were really outraged. I mean, we were really embarrassed internally, and so that was a huge problem. But it was in the midst of this fight, so it seemed like it was related. It seemed like it was related. It was the worst of all possible coincidences. Yeah, it made us totally look like jerks. And we're not jerks, and that's the thing that's so kind of upsetting about this. It It was kind of perfect ammunition to like point to, say, see, there are those guys. I'm like, no, we actually do want to help San Francisco, we want to enrich the city. The silver lining of it all was that we have 130,000 members in the city of San Francisco. And Airbnb, the these company, are these are host and guests. So okay. we have about you know 20,000 active and inactive hosts, but we have about 130,000 total users, including guests. Mm-hmm. They ended up really winning the ballot, not us. I mm-hmm. used to say they're on the ballot, not us, because we're going to be in 33,999 cities, mm-hmm. and they're the ones really at stake here, even though for us it's more of a brand issue. Um, but the host, like there were – hundreds of volunteers. They end up knocking on 285,000 doors. Mm-hmm. And so it was a pretty amazing effort. And then we ended up winning by about 10 percentage points. So it was a pretty huge victory for us. Still, the anger towards Airbnb. It's, it angry. never stops. It really, you know, it's, and there are some valid issues. There's yeah. that quite interesting New York Times piece about the hosts 
you know, party houses, obviously. You're still getting the, you know, it started a long time ago with the ladies' house was trashed. You guys attract a lot of negative attention in certain places. I think affordable housing is probably the lightning rod issue. Um, The thing I tell people is, number one, our founding story is rooted in affordable housing. As in, Joe and I couldn't afford housing, so we started Airbnb. It's Mm -hmm. in our DNA. Now, it's not I th- quite the same thing as affordable housing for poor people, but yes, okay, I get your point. It makes uh, affordable housing for middle class people, right? Which is actually where a, you know some of the a lot, a lot of the anger is coming from. Um, it's not just the low income, but I get it's your point. People can't afford to live yes, in San and, Francisco, and, and the average yeah. person in Airbnb is below median income. Mm-hmm. And we did a study and it showed that one thousand five hundred people last year did save their homes by renting on Airbnb. But people are angry, and I understand their anger. I don't think we're perfect. I do think there has historically been a problem of people on Airbnb in some cities, especially New York and San Francisco, converting mm-hmm. their apartments to illegal hotels. Mm-hmm. That is a problem I think has been overstated. I think that um, the vast, vast majority of people are renting the homes they live in. I think it's just counterintuitive for people to think, wait, there's all these homes being rented. How could people actually live in them when they're not being rented? And the truth is that the vast majority of them are. But we just put out this community compact, which basically said we don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. It's not a new commitment, but people didn't believe us, so we decided to just say it again Say it again and make it uh, written down. And we want to be part of the solution in San Francisco and New York. And so this is something we're working really, really actively on. But people, I think, in the end of the day are really, really upset about this issue. And I also think that the some, some groups in the traditional hospitality are pretty worried, too. Mm-hmm. I think there's... I think when people don't understand something, they sometimes assume the worst. And I think we're a kind of counterintuitive company. It's hard to understand, so it's very easy to assume the very worst. What have you done wrong? What do you imagine? When you look at this, because it doesn't go away, and people, you do become a lightning rod for this controversy. You know, they, they're they're around, obviously, issues around neighbors or issues around uh, not having enough housing, issues around um, jobs in the hotel industry also yeah. unions of the hotel unions are very upset yeah. about this i know they were super active in the uh, in the they were the, the main fight. funder of yep. prop f um mm-hmm. against us um i think that um i think that the main thing i would reflect on is you always have to be proactive not reactive mm-hmm. and i think the more we can be proactive um you know in hindsight if we could have been you know i guess the issue is a couple years ago i had like the kind of PR Midiar, kind of Craig Newmark, like mm-hmm. kind of marketplace school of thought, which is a community's immune system. They'll flag each other. They'll moderate their behavior. And it was a couple years of me thinking that before I realized, you know, we need to be more proactive, more hands-on. And I think actually the tipping point was in 2011 when this woman's apartment was trashed. At the, before that, I thought the reviews will solve this. If somebody's bad, they'll have a bad review and no one will ever stay with them. And I realized... Or vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. Or no one will ever host. So... The problem I realized was nobody should people shouldn't be guinea pigs for other people. Mm-hmm. And so we realized we need to be much more proactive in trust and safety. And really the same thing can be said for things like affordable housing. We need to be much more proactive. That being said, I do think that there's been a huge overstatement of the problem. I mean, 60 million people have used this, have had good experiences. And I think that continually speaking, I do think we majority of people do seem to support us in most cities. It's just that there's it's easy to attract a lot of attention. Well, so you're being funded. You're getting to build your business. Yeah, I think I think when I think there's a moment, you know, when you cross the threshold from being a very, very small company, you're like this kind of cute little company. At some point you're viewed as a huge corporation Mm -hmm. and in some ways we are very large and the expectations are different. And you need to you know, if you're if if any part of your company is behind the expectations people have, they hold you to a standard, and it's sometimes you got to speed up to get there. Absolutely. Speaking of big, how much is your funding right now? Um, we've raised a couple billion dollars. Couple billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you say <laughs> that so, so casually. I never. We're gonna yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get back to that after the break from our sponsor. Uh, we're gonna talk about that, yeah. the size and where you're going when we come back. Uh, if you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few 
Brian, what should I listen to? Do you have any book suggestions? Um, I just read Age of Ambition by Evan Osnos. That was a good book about China. He's a writer from New York. Ah, so. thinking of China. Interesting. Yeah. All right. That sounds <laughs> possibly boring, but I will, I will think about it. It's actually kind of Is interesting. Is it good? Uh, I was thinking you'd go more towards, you know, the Kim Kardashian book oh, yes. or something. Uh, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. We're here with Brian Chesky, the CEO and co-founder of Airbnb. And we're talking about uh, their recent uh, tragedy in Paris where Airbnb was holding a convention, also about their international expansion, about their struggles with regulators here in San Francisco and a victory they just won over um, regulation. Uh, and we're talking about the size of Airbnb and where it's going. Um, you said you raised a couple billion. <laughs> Can you be more specific? That's pretty specific. I mean, All that's right. actually the exact numbers. All right. Point. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. Where is this going? You you just also – there were some numbers that came out about how much you're making, how much you're not making. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the business as much as you yeah. can. So, yeah, of course. So obviously the company is growing really, really fast and I think there's been some reports about that. And it's um, and ultimately I think that you know we're often cited as an alternative travel mm-hmm. platform. I saw yeah. somebody most recently, the CEO of Expedia, called us alternative travel. And that's not inaccurate to say today we're alternative but I think where it's going is just to put this in perspective. We have 2 million homes, approximately 2 million homes in Airbnb. Mm-hmm. That is actually quite large. There's only about 14 million hotel rooms globally. Mm-hmm. I think that if you see that we had a million about a year ago, you're starting to see the potential. Right. That's something that I think has been viewed as a niche um, alternative could actually become a mainstay to travel. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a whole new category of travel. And so I think ultimately what we're doing, I'd say probably a few things. Number one – I think, I think it's going to continue. I'm going to think it's going to continue to be a more mainstream way to travel. You know, we're starting to get a lot of inroads in business travel. Um, almost a third of our homes are instant book, meaning you can mm-hmm. book them like a hotel, and you're going to continue to see that business growing. The second is new categories of growth. Obviously, Asia is a huge one. So China, um, Japan, India, Korea. These are our fastest growing markets in the world. Mm-hmm. Vacation rentals are continuing to grow. And the third is, um, I think Airbnb is going to continue to become more and more of a platform and ecosystem. I'll just give you one example. Uh, you know, if I were to ask somebody, like, where have you lived? You'd probably mention the two or three cities or four cities mm-hmm. you've lived in your life. Sure. But if I asked you where have you traveled to, mm-hmm. and if you've traveled a bunch of places, you're going to name, like, dozens right. of places you've traveled to. And I think the notion in the future is I'd love if I asked you the question, where have you lived? You'd say all the places you've gone to in Airbnb. Mm-hmm. In other words, you live there even if only for a night. In other words, with Airbnb, we don't want you to feel like you're an outsider because I think the problem with travel is you're often a tourist. Right. And I define well, a tourist as somebody who would do something you'd never do if you lived in that city. Like mm-hmm. why are all these people going to art museums? They hate art. They don't even go to it in their own city. So the idea is that you get to live in a city. And so living in a city is a lot more than staying in a home. Right. And so we've done some a lot of experiments the last couple of years. But I think going forward, I really see our hospitality extending much further beyond the home. So and doing things. Doing things. Like you go to a city to actually have experiences and services. And what, so I what think, has worked? What has worked in that area? Um, nothing. Well, a lot of things have working quite well internally, but nothing that we're like ready to announce. But I do think we're going to have a bunch of things. I mean – I mean, we've been experimenting with dinner parties. We're experimenting with tours. We're experimenting with a bunch of things. But we haven't, you know, set out to announce anything yet. But they we're looking you kind of across. setting up these dinner parties among guests? Oh, no, a host setting them up. Host yeah, setting them yeah, up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then which is work, though? Which do you think it's, it's really money-making? I think that there's going to be, you know, dozens of new possible – Airfare w- would be – Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, like, like the only category bigger than hotels and travel is airfare. But mm-hmm. um, I think that – the funny thing is – If you know wherever people are going, yeah, where yeah. they're going Well, from. the most valuable question travels is where are you going. So right. I think there's a bunch of things. Number one, I'd love for us in the future to be able to help you think through where you should travel to. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have – we have tens of millions of people every year who use us. Presumably not everyone knows where they want to go before they get to Airbnb. So we can mm-hmm. help you understand where to go. We could obviously help you stay in your city and that we already do. We can maybe help you get there. But more importantly, you know, one study we've done is for every dollar people spend in – their Airbnb, they spend two or three dollars 
in the city, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the restaurants, activities, mm-hmm. all those experiences. And so to the extent that we can help recommend places, connect you to the community, truly You want a that piece of that, Brian. I think that we <laughs> – exactly. We want a piece of the community. No. Um, we, we, we definitely think that, like, hosting shouldn't be limited to your home. And there's actually, frankly, even in here, like in a lot of cities, there's people who want to be able to participate. They have a bunch of extra time. And the thing I say is people always say, well, Airbnb is already monetizing your biggest asset, and that's your home. And the truth is it's not your biggest asset. Okay. It's your time. All right. So let's talk about, speaking of assets, yep. what you're going to do with all those billions of dollars. Yes. So you're going to expand? We're going to expand. Um, public. <laughs> we don't have any immediate plans to go public. In fact, um, you know, the, the that last— That means this year or next that year? That means the next couple of years for sure. Okay. We won't be looking at it. And then outside of that, we'll see. It's yeah. like I've always said, and our investors are pretty aligned, that to the extent that it's the very best thing to do for the community, we'll do it. But there's a lot more downsides than upsides sure. right now. And so we're just going to stay— Private, and we have the capital, which is the the main reason you're supposed to go public, is to provide capital or get liquidity for people. Mm-hmm. And the investors want to hold the stock for a long period of time. We have plenty of money, so there's not a huge reason to do it right now. Um, you know, the the big opportunities for me are like expanding in Asia, expanding to these new types of businesses. And doing and categories. so privately is better. It, it, well, I think that Mark Andreessen, I heard on his uh, on, on when you interviewed him, yeah. he said the big difference between private and public companies is the long term horizon. Right. That. Uh, you know, I think to the extent that we are allowed time to play things out long term, that's great. And in a category like Airbnb, where Airbnb is pretty counterintuitive, people it was so counterintuitive that when I told people the idea, they thought it was the worst idea they ever heard of. Mm-hmm. So any idea that's counterintuitive, the more time you can buy to lay out mm-hmm. your long term strategy, the better. Right. And so, but this was the first round where we raised money. We didn't actually need the money. In mm-hmm. other words, a definition of of needing money is if you don't raise money, you're going to go out of business, going to you know, pay all your bills. And this wasn't that round. This was what I consider an opportunistic round, which is to say this is a round that would allow us to be able to acquire companies or just stay private longer and do a bunch of things. So are are it you wasn't... worried about these private valuations? You know, Square went out and at a lesser price. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you're one of the famous, yeah. most famous unicorns, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not too worried. I definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about there being a bubble. Right. Um, there's always talk. About there's always talk about bubbles, and I don't. This definitely doesn't feel like a bubble. Uh, it's maybe foam, but it's not bubble. Yeah. So, but um, these valuations are high. You've got a lot of hedge funds coming yeah, in. You yeah. know, I think Mark and Bill Gurley have talked about the hedge funds. I was just with another investor, and they were like, "This, these, this money is so massive that it yeah. creates a, it messes things up a little bit." I think that um, maybe here's another way of saying it. I think that there are when. In 2011, we raised money and we were valued at a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that was – I mean, it's crazy even yeah. to say that. That was really unique. Right. And there's, what, 140 companies at that valuation. Right. It's hard. What's yours now? Um, it was valued at 25. So oh, most okay. Recently. That's big. Yeah. So um, – but it was um, – you know, I, I think that it's hard to know if all 140 companies will be around in the future. And I think the big issue that's happening is that – People are looking at some companies that have been incredibly successful. The, use, the buzzword they always use is network effects, right. meaning it's self-sustaining and defensible. And they apply it to 100 companies, some of which aren't actually self-sustaining and defensible. And I think that that is probably where you're seeing the biggest issue. I think as far as like whether certain companies are overvalued or not, maybe it's, you know, it's hard to say. $25 billion is a lot, Brian. Is, is that lot. overvalued? I don't think so. Well, I mean, I think it depends on the horizon you take. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I was an investor, I'd be a buyer. But, of course, I'm biased. Mm-hmm. So when you have that valuation, what kind of pressure is that on you to perform? Um, it, I mean, I think most of the pressure we've had has been self-imposed pressure and mm-hmm. internal pressure. So the company's going really well. So I didn't see a change in pressure from the valuation. I think the expectations have – expectations get higher as you raise more money, but – then again, I think expectations have always been highest internally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we really are focused on building an extremely long-term company. I think that 99.9% of the world has never used Airbnb. We did recent studies which showed that 60% of people in the United States haven't even heard of Airbnb. It's mm-hmm. astounding to think that. And so I think this is literally like day one. And everyone always says it's day one. But I do think it's a $2 trillion industry. So there's a lot of opportunities here. So what are you most worried about? What are your what is your big worries? And then I have a final question. Yeah. So Paul, when I was when I was starting Airbnb with Joe and Nate, Paul Graham used to have a saying. He said, "Don't worry about competitors. Startups usually die of suicide, not homicide. They deal with self inflicted wounds." I think the self he has a lot of things. Like yes, that. he says a lot of funny the kind of things. He used to call me a cockroach too because we mm-hmm. wouldn't die, and that was <laughs> at one point a really good thing, uh-huh. uh, especially in an investment nuclear winter. Cockroaches will be here when we're all gone. Yes, exactly, and that was the idea. But um, I think. 
I think self-inflicted wounds are things where you can no longer innovate. You know, Steve Jobs used to say it's when like company no longer is focused on product and like the non-product people like kind of rule the company. Um, but I think it's really about staying innovative. You know, I wrote an email to the company not long ago, and the subject line was still a startup. Mm-hmm. And Well, that's what most companies hope for. Yeah, they hope for, and in the good version of a startup, meaning Steve Jobs It's a little Jobs painful call, to watch Google do it, I'll be honest with you. They're kind of big. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, Steve used to call Apple the world's biggest startup, mm-hmm. and I think they mean fast-moving, innovative, not like the bad parts of being a startup or the part, the immature parts of being a startup. Oh, that but, was there too, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That but never I, dies, yeah. no matter what But that, that's what we're really focused on. I don't stay up at night worrying about the existential threats around government. They take them very seriously. But whether Airbnb is around in the future or not, it's probably determined by us internally and the decisions we make, not by people outside of the world. I think that you know most startups can control their destiny more than they think. Is there, what what worries? Something worries you, Ryan. Well, I worry about trust and safety a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have nearly 1 million people a night staying in our homes. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this in 191 countries. And you have countries that are living together sometimes for the very first time ever. Yeah. And so that literally is probably the one existential thing that Absolutely. does actually keep me up like at night. Like that death story. That was kind it of was show. heartbreaking. It's yeah. heartbreaking. And, you know, no one has a perfect track record, but that's something we always strive for. And I don't want us to be viewed as a risky alternative or a so-called adventure. Mm-hmm. I actually want to be long-term to be one of the safest ways to travel. You're not Uber. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. No. no comment. Yeah. That's okay. Stick with no comment on that no. one. Um, so last question. Speaking of companies around you and in, in here in Silicon Valley, what's the one you most uh, think is, well, that they're doing it great? Who do you look at? What companies do I look at yeah. that I admire? Um, I think, I don't know if there's one. I, I do think that, um, um, you know, you mean startups or just any size? Anywhere, anywhere. Well, I think, I mean, I think the execution of Apple is astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing about Apple that always surprised me was many companies are really good at like one or two things. Like this company's great at engineering. This company's great at sales. This company's a great like M&A machine. Apple seems to be one of the few companies that they're good at almost everything. You can, some people are critical of elements of Apple, but they're actually quite well-rounded, which is evidenced by how successful it is. Um, I think Amazon's been stunning for their ability to grow a second business, AWS. So many companies can never get beyond their core invention, and all their revenue is the core invention, mm-hmm. and they can't ever do something else. And I think that, you know, even, and I'd say, you know, um, I would say, you know, Uber and Lyft have led a revolution in, in DD. The three of them in car sharing has been truly extraordinary to watch. It's completely changed the way people move throughout cities. I think that's been pretty amazing as well. And, you know, I remember when Uber first launched, thinking it was as crazy as people thought, right? I thought Airbnb was. And, of course, here it is. And Could you do a partnership with them? Travel to the... I think that they would be both, uh, Uber and Lyft would be both great partners for Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. Which one of them is going to win there, Brian? Um, I don't, I think I've always thought, you know, a lot of people are obsessed with this notion of winner take all. And mm-hmm. I don't know why every single business has to be winner take all. Mm-hmm. I think that Uber is going to be incredibly successful. I don't know why them being successful means that Lyft can't survive and be really successful as well. Because they're don't. super aggressive. I just met the DD people in China and they should be nervous about them. Yeah, I think, I think that the market might get cut up a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think that they're all going to be so successful. I don't, I mean, maybe the market's so big, it's going to be hard for any one company to even capture it. That might be a naive statement, but like they're basically Same privatizing. Same thing with Airbnb. There isn't really one. The home away, I guess. Home away is really large, and then mm-hmm. you've got Booking.com, and you've got um, hotels. Yeah, there's and there'll be there'll be more. The thing mm-hmm. I always tell companies is like, no one ever saw us coming. Who don't we ever see coming? They're coming. All right. Well, I can't wait to find out. <laughs> Brian, thank, thank you. you so much. Oh, thank you, Kara. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, we have fantastic news for you. Even more Recode Decode to keep you informed and entertained. Every Thursday, tune in for a special edition of Recode Decode, hosted by our very own Recode Senior Media Editor, the amazing Peter Kafka. And be sure to subscribe to audible.com slash decode to get that free audiobook we talked about so you don't miss an episode. Now we're twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. Coming up, my favorite resident geek, Lauren Good of The Verge, will be talking about a holiday gift guide that she has made for me. I'm a little nervous on today's Too Embarrassed to Ask. Also, be sure to check out our other show, Recode Replay. We have scores more Red Chair interviews from all our events, including Brian Chesky's appearance at the Code Conference earlier this year. All this and more at recode.net slash replay. And speaking of Lauren Good, she's right here with me up next, right after a brief word from our sponsor. 
Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. We're back with our favorite resident geek. <laughs> you always pause when you say that. Well, I was going to say least favorite, but I, of course not. <laughs> You're my favorite. Um, Lauren, good from Cara, The Verge. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought we'd do something a little different today. Yeah. yeah. I thought we would go shopping for you. Oh, my God. For the you know, holidays. I hate shopping. You do know I know that. you hate it. That's why I'm going to do it for you. Okay. You're going to do it for me. Oh, yeah. So this is a gadget holiday shopping guide. Yeah. We put out a holiday gift guide on The Verge. Mm-hmm. And last year we did it by price. Mm-hmm. This year we did it by a different category. So well, it's actually. Price is no object if The Verge is paying, but okay. It's, well, if you're paying, it's okay, no all object. Right. So, so you pick things out for me. Yes. Um, and not all of them are gadgets. Some right. of them are just household goods because okay. we have a whole home section this all year right. too, which is pretty okay. cool. Okay. And this is this is stuff to buy, which largely online or in stores. How do, what do you recommend? Either. I mean, I personally never recommend going doing the whole Black Friday thing or, or yeah. d- dealing with crowds yeah. during the holidays. That's just me. Yeah. So you can find these all online. Lauren, I never go to a store now. Everything is delivered by Amazon or other online services. Yeah, I can't picture you spending any of your precious time I think time I just shopping. have like toothpicks like, You have no delivered. time. I think I just have toothpicks delivered. I'm yeah. not sure. No, so. I, I would believe that. And by the way, this is with um, this is with your credit card. That yeah, we're yeah I just bought myself, right now. in fact, from Amazon. I ordered them. At midnight the night before last, and they were there the next day. Like very, sh- it was earphones so I could watch television. Uh, uh, so I don't bother Nellie when she sleeps because she's really irritated. She's like, "Turn it down!" And I don't want to turn it down. So I bought myself some RF headphones. I'm very happy. I'm surprised that someone didn't just you know knock on your bedroom door two seconds later and show up with you know hand delivering. No, I know, but it headphones. was great. It was great. I love I love shopping for gadgets online. But let's go. Let's. What have you getting okay. for me? The first one. Is the new Roomba 980. Okay. I'm dubious about the Roomba, as you know. I, I, I have reviewed this out for you. All right. Okay. Why? Wait, were you reviewed? Did La- you review when it Roomba? was invented. You remember it was like. It was I thought a- you. I thought that was the Japanese toilet that you reviewed. I did that too. I have had a long history. I'm very <laughs> old. So the Roomba 980. What is the 980? Why? The 980 is special because it is, it's the newest Roomba, but it now it has Wi-Fi. What? So now you can control your Roomba from a smartphone app, okay. which seems like it should be an obvious feature. But Roomba had an uh, iRobot hadn't updated their Roomba line in a couple of years. I, now. I saw one in the store, and I was in a in a Bed Bath and Beyond buying some pillows because I like to try them out on the floor of the store. Um, this is going to be much them. more useful than pillows. Okay, what does it do? What because does it do? you have cats now. Yes, I You've know. Joined Sadly. me in Cat Lady Land. Yes, it's so unwillingly, but here I am. No, well, I like the cats. They're nice cats. They're yes, and they're adorable. And yeah. so once you have cat fur all over the place, you need something like this. And this just, picks up cat fur. It picks up fur. It picks right. up. It runs during the day. You don't even have to think about it. You can control it. From cats your would attack it. Wouldn't the cats attack it with their uh, fur? It, you know, it's interesting. Some cats attack. Some some cats are fearful of it. Some cats like ride on their Roombas. Right. It's mine is sort of like, you know, a little bit indifferent at this point. It's right. used to it. Right. Okay. It's like it's. So you have one of these, but they're expensive. Right? I have an what older one. Made of money. I have an older one. This one is expensive. This one is nine hundred dollars. You Whoa. can afford. No, that's a lot of money for a vacuum. It is a lot of money for a vacuum. Give it to the nice cleaning lady. So the upside is that it does all the work for you when you're not around. The downside is that I have found even with a Roomba, you still need some type of other vacuum. Right. There's certain things you try to get around the house and you just can't. Right. But this picks up light dirt. And this is good for like just day to day maintenance. Nine hundred dollars is a lot of money, Lauren. I mean, let's aim a little lower. All right. All right. What else? Um, you can put in your stocking. All right. All right, the next thing you this actually you can fit a in a stocking. What kind of stocking do you have? <laughs> anyway, move along. This you actually can fit in your stocking. Okay. I thought about putting a smartwatch on your list, and then I thought, no, Kara is going to say I'm not wearing a smartwatch. So I think you should get the Fitbit Charge HR. Okay, why? Because you I've just to, taken off six of them. So okay, you need to. So I'm saying this fully acknowledging right. that you're going to put it on. You're going to say I hate this thing and it's ugly and it feels like a prison bracelet. Yes, and then within. You know, three months' time, it's going to end up in a drawer. Yes, because yes, I, the other we've drawer. done this before. You yes, and I have yes, exchanged yes, Fitbits yes, before. Yes, yes, yes. You see, I'm not wearing my Apple Watch right now. And you're not. I'm yeah, you're a not. Watch you're wearing it's a beautiful a, scoggin. Scoggin. It's yeah. nice. It just tells the time. That's okay. all I need. But you need to take care of your health. All I'm right. going to make that your resolution for at least the first just, again, part. You're calling me old. Of 2016. No, I'm not calling you old. You're very busy, and and I want I want you to wear a Fitbit or some type of activity tracker for at least What does the charge do? What? Why do I want the charge versus the Fitbit? Whatever. So the Charge HR has heart rate sensors in it. 
which yeah. the regular charge does not. It does not. But the Fitbit Surge is a big, bulkier thing that's really meant for people that are, are serious athletes, like yeah. people who work out a lot, fitness buffs, right. and that sort of thing. And, and I'm not I expecting that you, profile. Well, I'm not expecting you to get out there and you know bike ride 13 miles every morning or right. run 10 miles or whatever. I'm gonna start be. boxing. Dick Costello boxes now. So oh, really? Bo- yeah, box. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's a good way to get your aggressions. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of aggressions. But okay, so the charge does what? So it doesn't, it's not as big as the surge. Not as big as the surge, but has heart rate sensors, which the regular charge does not. How much does that cost? Uh, I think it's $150. You can probably find it for a little bit less during this holiday season. Right. Have you seen these one from Xiaomi? Someone was wearing them. They cost $15. Yeah. They're cool. Yeah, well, the, they're, I think there are a couple different ones now. There's a $12 one and a $15 one yeah. with some type of it heart, had a heart rate, rate It's pretty cool. Yeah, Xiaomi is actually, I think, a, they're a, a legitimate it looked, it was competitor. It was the first one that I was like, that's, I would wear that one. Mm-hmm. And they're really inexpensive. Yeah, they're really inexpensive. I like that idea, $15. All right, what else? What else? Okay, next is the Amazon Echo. Ah. Because I think you need another person to boss around. In I your don't life. think I do. I think I have you, plenty. You can just you can tell this thing what to do all day long. Right. You can say Alexa, set a timer. Alexa, right. play Alexa, music. Why do I have to call Alexa. it Alexa? You don't have to. You can change the the keyword Is it from their search to be engine? whatever. You control it from your mobile app. So you have okay. to have the Amazon mobile app. Right. And then you connect this Bluetooth, this tubular Bluetooth speaker, and then it has this artificial intelligence layer that you tell it what to do. Why do I want an Echo? What does it do? It just answers questions for me? It answers questions. I but do you that can on also my phone. use it to like set. I, honestly, can I tell you what the killer right. app is for the what? Echo, having had what? it in my apartment for a while now? Okay. It's timers. It sounds so stupid, but it's true. When you're cooking, when you're doing anything that requires timing, or just the ability to shout across the house, like, Alexa, set a timer for 20 minutes. All right. It's like, I don't know, it's so silly and so simplistic, Okay, but it works really well. All right, how much but does I that cost? But I also use it to play music. Play music, okay. It's $200. Uh, okay. And it's it's $200 for non-Prime members, and for Prime members, I think it's $20 less than that. Okay, but it bosses me around. No, you boss it around. Oh, all right. Yeah, okay. you tell oh, her Oh, I like too. that. Yeah, I yeah. like to boss people You, you could be like, uh, you know, Alexa... Who is Kara Swisher? And then if you don't like your Wikipedia entry, you could be like, Alexa, like change my Wikipedia, Wikipedia entry. I do not like she my doesn't really Wikipedia do that, entry. But I do not. Why? What does it say? I don't know. I don't, I'm making right. that up. Uh, all right. Well, next. What else? Kara's what else? This Wikipedia. is getting kind of pricey. We're into the $1,000 here, but go ahead. Keep okay. going. This next one mm-hmm. is called Selfish. It is a book by your favorite selfie taker. Who? Kim Kardashian. Of course. Fantastic. I like this present a lot. Yes. And as we said in the Verge Gift Guide, whoever you give this to will either love you or never speak to you Why again. Why would they never speak to you? She's a genius at selfie. She's a genius at a lot of things. As you know, I have great regard for her in the social media department and the digital I know you space. Do. And yeah. she's, she's very savvy when it comes to these things. Yeah. So she put out this book. And I think in 2016, in addition to having a fur-free house and getting into Fitbit shape, I think you should go on a campaign to take more selfies. More and, selfies. Yeah, more, more selfies mm, in 2016. Mm, mm. More care of I did get a branding. selfie stick. I did buy a selfie stick, but I don't use it. I'll be honest with you. I you did one selfie and that was it. I don't think that Kim uses it. I mean, I think Kim's selfies probably are relatively selfie stick free. I don't know, mm, but I would imagine she's not carrying around I heard she has stick. special lights around her phone that make sure the selfie looks really good. I need some of those. Yeah, but you can buy stuff like that now, but I had heard that. Maybe I should put that on your list. Yes, exactly. I like this. This is one I like. How much is that book? What do you say? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know. It's probably in the 20. Yeah, you'd range. have to go to the like Holiday that's, Gift Guide to check it out. That's budget conscious and entertaining all in one. It's yeah. one holiday in- evening for me. It'll end up in your coffee table. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. What else? Okay, this one's really expensive, and you're going to think I'm crazy. All right. It's this amazing rain jacket. All right. Because El Nino is coming this year to California. Apparently, allegedly. And it's supposed to rain uh-huh. for like allegedly. the first time in two years. Allegedly. And so this is called the Stutterheim Arahoma raincoat. Okay. It's five hundred and eighty-five $585. And it's Swedish. Swedish. That's what I was saying. It's not like something from we hit the Stutterheim Arahoma table. <laughs> Just, just like paperboard <laughs> or whatever. All right, all right. Uh, but it's very stylish looking and it's yeah. incredibly durable. Okay, I don't need a raincoat. I have a raincoat. Why is I don't this? Know, it just looks really. It's it's just a really gorgeous raincoat. Wait, this has no digital quality. <laughs> you just want to buy me a coat? It doesn't like tell me the weather, or the temperature, turn purple when I put it on. You when expect it's, too much. Well, you should have a barometer <laughs> color scheme or something like this. It's just a raincoat. You can you just, just carry Alexa around in your pocket. No, no, no. no. I X this off. All right, last one. You have one more chance. 
This is not techie either, but I oh really like it. God. Oh, no. Okay, no, you're it's becoming a week- my stylist like I'm Kim Kardashian. <laughs> All right. This is a weekend bag yeah. made by Everlane. All right. Yeah, you like those, Everlane. Now, that's an interesting company, Everlane. It, yes. It and makes I have rip-off one of these. T-shirts that are soft and... I know of Everlane. I, I have one of these weekend bags. Yeah. It's $98, which yeah. is a total steal for this kind of durable classic weekend bag. Okay. And I'm getting it for you for two reasons. One, because you are a jet setter. Yes, and I travel am. all the time. I do. And two, because I have one and we can be twinsies. We have to travel together? <laughs> I don't think so. You know I've already go? asked Fox to book me on your flight to oh, CES. So. No, you're not coming. We're driving. Do you want to drive with us? Really? I'm driving with Mark Bergen and Noah uh, Kelwin. Oh, that will be we're fun. Selma and Louise and Louise. We can periscope the whole thing. We, that's the plan. We're doing. We're saving money for the Vox Media Empire by driving. So we save fare. And we can take our work. matching weekend bags. Yeah. Actually, do you want to hear no. something kind of cool about this weekend bag somebody got this for me a couple Mm -hmm. years ago as Mm -hmm. a holiday gift and i loved it and they also got me a custom made luggage tag Mm -hmm. at the time and it was very sweet it was a beautiful luggage tag and they had it embossed with all things d my all things d information oh how sweet and And quite literally like a week later yeah all things d went away well see now you have a historical (laughs) item but none of this is digital i like of the digital things which of the ones should i get the room i'm trying to tell you that life should not be all about technology and digital you should be able to unplug and disconnect and wear your raincoat and take selfies yeah it's and not go gonna happen i dedicated my life to tech and i will <laughs> die like, okay so of these things the best one selfish, um i would say is probably oh well that but that's Kardashian. not digital either yes but it's it's selfish all right it's in the well i'm gonna realm. get you selfish but if i had to pick one of these tech things i'd probably go with the amazon echo okay because everyone ditches their fitbits i shouldn't say everyone but a lot of people ditch their fitbits after right. a certain period of time and well, i certainly pretty will expensive yeah yeah well you've I'm going to have, I have a drawer of them. I have a drawer of yeah. all of them. All That's right. my holiday gifts for you. Well, what are you getting you. me? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, you'll just have to wait and see because <laughs> I put such thought into it, as, which which I mean to say none oh, at all. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. When are you going to give it to me? I'm getting you a fruitcake. A fr- oh. Yeah. It's digital. It's a digital fruitcake. Oh, God. Yeah, you can watch it as it goes down your body. Cake. A soiled fruitcake. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> Anyway, Lauren Good, as usual, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. And then we're going to be uh, rolling this out to its own separate show. Correct? I know. I'm so excited. I hope you have some good ideas. Yeah. Keep and us entertained. As we always say, thanks to everyone for listening. And if you have any other tech questions you'd like to send us into Admiris to ask, you can send them to at Kara Swisher, at Lauren Good, which is good with an E at the end of it, or just at Recode, and we will try our best to answer your questions. Especially if you're really embarrassed. Especially if they're really embarrassing yeah. tech questions. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to hashtag it, hashtag T-E-T-A, T-E-T-A which sounds kind of naughty. Yeah, it does a little it does. bit. Are you naughty or nice, I'm going to get you a year? Tita for this okay. holiday <laughs> Are you naughty or nice for this I'm, holiday? I'm nice. Really? Yeah. That's sad. That's just sad. All right, Come Lauren, on. good. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kara. One of the best ways to support our show is to help us improve. And all you have to do is to tell us a little bit about yourself. Take a short three-minute survey at recode.net slash podcast survey and help us by sharing your opinions on this show and how you listen to the podcast in general. Tell us how you really feel. The better we know you, the better the show can be. We always love hearing from you. Take a survey at recode.net slash podcast survey. See you next week, and thanks to you for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We always have a new episode every week. And be sure to tune in this Thursday for our first special edition of Recode Decode, hosted by Peter Kafka. This week, Peter talks with College Humor CEO Ricky Van Veen in New York. Then on Monday, I'll be talking with former Twitter CEO Dick Costello here in San Francisco. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.